Father, we give you praise. Father, we give you praise. Father, we give you praise. Father, we thank you. Father, we honor you. Father, we just want to thank you for the gift of life. We thank you, Almighty God, for what you will do today in our midst. Thank you for the journey that you have taken us through and that you are still taking us through as we all, in different dimensions, face Goliath. We thank you, Almighty God, that we have already had the victory in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in this life we will have tribulation, but we should be of good cheer. Why? Because you have overcome the world. The Bible says, who is he that overcomes the world? The one that believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Father, we thank you that we have believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Therefore, our default position is that of an overcomer. We are overcomers by identity. Lord, therefore, this morning, I just want to pray, Father, Lord, that these words will come out to encourage your people to know what to do. So that they can tap into the overcoming status that you have already, the overcomer status that you have already given each one of us in Christ. We thank you for it. May this was come out powerfully to deliver, to help, to set free, to empower someone today in the name of Jesus Christ. Let your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, welcome to church. I'm excited to share with you today uh, the continuation of the good fight series that we started a number of weeks ago. Today's message, I've called it Defiant Faith. Defiant Faith. Essentially, we're looking at a story of David, how he slayed Goliath. And we're learning lessons from David that we can apply into our lives. So let's go into the text. First Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to be reading, reading from verses 32 to 37. And then, but the focus really is on verse 37. The Bible says, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. Why? Because you are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied, he has defied, defiant, he has defied what the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me. Now, this is where David began to boast in the Lord. The Lord who rescued me, you know, based on the historical issue of the past. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me now from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go, the Lord be with you. So as I said, my focus today is on verse 37. David said, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion... And the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So David was a man driven by a cause. David was a man driven by a cause. And David was also a man who was propelled by the covenant relationship he had with God. We know that in 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 29, when David first showed up, in the tent, in, on, on, the, on the battlefield, and he was hearing the voice of Goliath, right, you know, challenging the armies of God, challenging the armies of Israel, David began to ask questions. We know from what we've covered before that his brother, his close brother, Eliab, began to talk to him and say, um, you are a weaker person. What are you doing on the battlefield? What, who, who have you left those small little sheep that you have been you are meant to take care of? Who have you left them with? Right? We know that was what happened. But David says something in verse 29. He said, what have I done now? Is there another cause? And we spent, so, I think two weeks ago, we spoke about, is there another cause? Is a statement alluding to the fact that there must be a why why we live. There must be a why for your, for your life. Okay, so today I want to talk about defiant faith. Defiant faith is a, a faith that is obviously that defies logic. 
It's a faith that defies understanding. It's a faith that defies the, the, the conversations of your friend, that defies rational thinking. The defiant faith is not blind faith, but defiant faith is a faith that puts the power of God, the name of God, above challenges and situations that we may face in this life. So the word defiant, by definition, is a word that means full or showing a disposition to challenge, resist, or fight. Or full or showing defiance. Or to be bold, to be impudent. Defiant rebels or a defiant refuser. refuser. So a defiant faith, therefore, is a faith that refuses to give in to the fear of the enemy. Or a faith that refuses to give up. Is a faith that speaks boldly of the power of God to overcome the adversary, no matter what we may be facing. It's a faith that boasts in the goodness of God. There's something about David that I want to share with you in this story today that will help to build your faith, that will help you to face the Goliath of your life without being afraid. Let's go back into the story and look at the defiance of Goliath against the armies of God. In verses 8 and 9 of 1 Samuel chapter 17, the Bible says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subject. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and servers. This is what Goliath said. Now, I want you to notice something in in the words of Goliath. That is important for us to pay attention to. This statement of Goliath, there's, there's some words, there are phrases that Goliath used when he was boasting to these people. He was boasting and making this defiance before them. And he did this for 40 days. There are some phrases he used that built fear in the heart of the people. Now, the, the phrases were used, and on the face of it, you might not see that this phrase could lead to fear. But as as I'll show you this morning, you will see that this phrase, if you allow it to be the phrase through which you, the the lens, the faith, uh, the lens through which you look at, the phrase that defines the lens through which you look at life, it's going to paralyze your faith. Let's go back into the text. Goliath says something, he said, am I not a Philistine? Am I not one person? And are you not the servants of Saul? Are you not the servants of Saul? Are you not the servants of Now, essentially when he said, I'm just one man here, but are you not the servants of Saul? He made a statement that suggested that these people are servants of Saul. He took his eye, he, 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 he used those words to take their eyes off the fact that they are children of God, that they are generous of God, that they are armies of God. This, the words used here was painted a picture that the limit of their power lies in the strength of Saul. The limit of their power lies in the strength of Saul. When he said they are servants of so, so, and so, essentially he's saying this person owns you. This person determines the bound, the boundary of your life, the boundary of your power, the boundary of your effort. Are you not servants of Saul? It's like when the Bible says, he who is a servant of sin is a slave to sin. It's talking about the fact that sin is the lord of that person. Sin is the master of that person. Therefore, if something is your master or someone is your master, you are under that person. So essentially, when Goliath used the phrase, I, I, I'm a Philistine, but are you not the servant of Saul? He automatically took their eyes off the, the bigness of God and put their mind to the limit of Saul, to how much they could achieve because they were under Saul. But I want to show you something that David did by turning that statement around. And this, that's where I began to see the power of the faithfulness of the strength that David had that other people may not see. Let's go back into the text again. So the Bible here says, Goliath said, Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servant of Saul? Choose a man or a woman or whoever and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight, if he's able, 
Abel, Abel is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subject. But if I overcome him and kill him, you become our subject and serve us. Now, look at the wordings. The guy said, if this guy, if at all he is able, if he has the ability to even fight me to the point of then killing me, will become your subject. But if I overcome, if I overcome him and kill him, you become a subject. So essentially he's saying, the person you are going to bring, maybe the person will not, I, I doubt the person will have the capability to beat me anyway. If he's ever able to, let him come. But me, if I overcome, if, if I overcome you, then you become a servant. The guy was boasting in himself. But the words that he used painted fear in the heart of the people. Why? Because he has put the limit of their, of their victory to the extent of the strength of Saul, which we see was not much. So when you face any challenge in life, my friend, when you face any challenge in life, the enemy will want you to direct your source, your, your source, your encouragement, your pride, your boldness or to yourself or to the people around you or to the limit of the, of the things that you know, the knowledge that you have, the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of the doctors. The enemy wants you to allow your source, your, the force of your confidence to be in the things that you know, in the people that you know, in the area where you live, in the capabilities of your financial acumen. The enemy will want you to focus your attention on that. But people of God, God wants you to put your attention and your focus on his own power. So that the Bible says the exceeding greatness of God's power is unto us what? Ephesians chapter 3. The Bible says the exceeding greatness of God's power is unto us what? Which means all of the demonstration of the power that God used to raise Christ from the dead is demonstrated on our behalf. So it is for our benefit. Which means the extent of your victory in life is tied to the extent of the victory of God himself. But if the devil can allow you or, 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 or deceive you, rather, to shift your attention from the extent of the power of God to begin to put your attention on the people you know, your trust in the people you know, in the, in the, in the wisdom you have, in the financial acumen you do have, in, in the connection you have, then essentially what will happen is this. You automatically put the limit of what you can achieve in life to the limit of what a man can give to you. Now, the Bible says something. The Bible says something in Jeremiah 17, verse 5 to 8. The Bible says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in and relies on mankind, making weak and faulty human flesh his strength, and whose mind and heart turn away from the Lord. For he will be like a shrub in the patched desert, and shall not see prosperity when it comes. The Bible says when we put our faith, the essence of our lives, the, the place where we can go to, the essence of, of, of our prosperity and our success in life, to be tied to a human being that can be awake today and die tomorrow, that can be in this position today and lose it tomorrow. If we tie our livelihood, if we tie the essence of our success in life to a human being, oh, I know an uncle who is in power, he can help me. I know a brother who is so-so and so, he can help me. When you begin to tie the viewpoint of the of the of the victory of your life to a human being, the Bible says the person will be like what, like a shrub in a patch desert, and that person cannot see prosperity when it comes. Why? Because the person has put attention, has put focus, has put the confidence in a human being. The Bible says, the Bible says such a person shall live in the rocky places of the of the wilderness, in an in in an uninhabited salt land. But the Bible then began to say, blessed with spiritual security is the man who believes in and trusts in and relies on the Lord and whose hope and confident expectation is the Lord. For this person will be like what? Will be nourished like a tree planted by the waters that spreads out its root by the river and will not fear the eat when it comes. Now notice the word used here. The Bible says, did not say the heat if it comes. The Bible says the heat when it comes, which means the heat of life will come one day. Each one of us will experience the heat of life from time to time. But the Bible says, if you have put your trust in the Lord, even when the heat of life comes, you will be what? You will be nourished like a tree planted by the waters. You will spread out your roots by the river. 
and you will not be afraid of the heat when it comes. Why? Because your leaf will be green and moist. Why is that? Because you have tied your roots to the water that never runs dry. Because you have made your hope and your confident expectation to be of the Lord. The Bible says this person will not be anxious or concerned in the year of drought. This person will never stop bearing fruit. This text is so important because it begins to say to us that you might be hearing of things going on in the world. You might be hearing of economic collapse. You might be hearing of of um of fire outbreak. You might be hearing of 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 um, tsunami attack. You might be hearing of um, interest rate hike. You might be hearing of insecurity. You might be hearing of um, increase in economic disposition. You might be hearing a lot of things in the news. You might be hearing of the fact that the, the economy is now is entering a time of recession. That may be the words you are hearing. But the Bible says something to us that even times when the heat comes, in times when there's drought in the land, that if you have made the Lord your hope and your confident trust, the Bible says even during the time when heat comes, you will flourish like the cedars of Lebanon. My God, the Bible essentially says if you can allow your heart to see that God is your victory, God is your source, God is your security. It doesn't matter what the economy or the economic situation of the country where you live may be, may be going through. It doesn't matter what the challenges of the nation where you find yourself may be going through. You would not be afraid or anxious when these things happen. When they go through challenges, it is during that time that God will create a safe haven for you to be protected. People of God, I'm saying to you by the power of the Holy Ghost that if we can allow ourselves to shift our attention from the limitations of man, from putting trust in a human being that lives today and dies tomorrow and put our attention and our focus and our hope and trust in the God who lives forever, God will make ways for you in the wilderness. God will cause things to happen for you that you haven't even thought about. And that is what separated David from the rest of the soldiers. Let's go back to the text. This man painted a picture for them that created fear in their heart because he said to them, you are the servant or you are the servant of Saul. So he painted a picture of limitation, of frailty, of dependence on a human being or on the hands of flesh. But as we have seen here, God said, a person who put trust in what man can do, that person will not even receive, receive support when everything falls apart. Now, when Goliath was saying this thing for the, for the next 40 days, the Bible says in verse 23, when David came into the camp and began to ask questions, what's going on? The Bible says, as David was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual, usual defiance, and David heard it. So David heard the same thing the other soldiers heard. But what makes the difference? If you go back to this Jeremiah that I just read here, Jeremiah chapter 17, you see here that the person who put their trust and relies on mankind, the mankind in the case of the Israelite uh, uh, soldiers will, will be Saul. They, because the guy has painted a picture in their heart that they are servants of Saul. Their limitation is based on the limitation of Saul. They are, therefore, their trust and their reliance is based on Saul. The Bible says this person, the, the person will, turn, will get their heart to turn away from the Lord. And the person will be like a shrub in the patch desert. And so the person will, will, will be standing in a place where they are meant to do what they are meant to do. But there is no, there's no uh, moisture. There's no water. The person will be finding himself in a place where it, the, the, the person is struggling to make hands meet. Why? Because the person has put your trust in a human being. But the person who put the trust in God will be nourished like a tree planted by the waters. The person, the person will spread out his roots by the river. The person will not fear when it comes. The person will not be anxious. The person will have his leaves evergreen. The person will not be afraid when in the year where there is drought, where there is economic depression. Why? The person will not stop bearing fruit. Why? Because the person has put their trust in the Lord. So Goliath painted a picture that pushed these soldiers to think of themselves as the servants of soul. The, as, as somebody who is limited in life to the limitation of a human being. But David heard it. David heard the same thing that they heard. But what did David do? What makes David to be a person that is different from the rest of them? I want to show you. Verse 26. David asked the men standing near him. He said, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? 
and removes this disgrace from Israel. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, there are, there, are, there are phrases here in David's questions that when you compare these phrases to what Goliath said, you begin to see where the heart of David was. David said, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? So essentially, he's talking about the fact that this guy has to die. Number two, removes the disgrace from Israel. So David considers what considered what Goliath was doing as a disgrace against the people of God. But the bit that really got me was what he said when he said, "Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? This person who is not under a covenant, who does not understand the covenant that God has had with us, that he should come and defy." The armies of the living God. Now, Goliath called these soldiers servants of Saul. David called them armies of the living God. I don't know if you can see the difference. Servants, a slave of a human being. Servants, limited to the essence of a human being. Armies, armies of the living God. These are soldiers trained, empowered, that belong to the royal household of God of the universe. The, the wordings of David suggested that David saw in the soldiers what God saw in them, what they could become, who they, they are really in the eyes of God. Goliath was spending a picture that painted them to be servant and slave and a nobody. Limited body, limited to the essence of which a man can ever get to in the natural. David turned the situation, conversation around in his wordings and what he said, began to call them what they could be. What situations are you being faced with right now? That you are even having conversations in your own heart. That you are setting yourself to the limitation of what a human being can achieve because of what you can see with your eyes or because of what you are hearing in the media. Will you be like David? Will say, will, will, even though exposed to the same information, chooses to speak words that depict the situation the way God sees the situation. David began to call those soldiers the armies of the living God. When in the natural, they were scurrying around and running around, they were running around like headless chicken, like a nobody. Do you know the words of David? Was prophetic. Essentially, David was beginning was beginning to call this reward they could be. There was no indication from in the Bible that Saul called them that. If you are a leader and somebody is get under you, the what you speak over that person is important. If every morning you wake up, what you what you call your children is you loser, you nobody, you can't matter nothing. You call them even let's say even the child is disorganized and, and, and messes things up. And all the time you keep saying you always mess you always mess things up. You always mess things up. You always mess things up. You know what you're doing? You are calling that child what that child is. You are not calling that child what that child could be. Even though that child might be messing things up. Why don't you be saying, Oh man, you are such an organized child. You are getting better and better and better by every day. What are you doing? You are acting like God acted in the book of Genesis chapter one when the bible said the, the earth was formless and darkness covered the surface of the deep the bible said god said let there be light god did not say there was darkness god saw darkness but god could have said oh there was darkness now let there be light he didn't say that he said what he wanted he said let there be light and there was light and there was light so when we call the things that god has put in our lives what they could be even though they might not be looking like that you know what we're doing we are using our words to create the future of for these people that will change their lives David began to call the armies of Israel, the armies of the living God, to counter the appellation and the label that Goliath was already putting on them. The labeling of, of Goliath has messed up their minds. The labeling of Goliath caused fear in their hearts. The, the labeling of Goliath caused them to scurry around and be afraid. But David chose a different statement. David chose a different appellation, a different labeling that began to set things in motion in the camp of Israel. 
The Bible makes us to understand something. Why the why the, uh, the, the the work the words of David is important is because David called them who God has already declared them to be. You see, there is a, there was a covenant that God made. That there, sorry, there was a law that God put in put into motion in the book of Deuteronomy chapter twenty. It's called the law of war. In the law of war, in Deuteronomy chapter twenty verse one to nine, the Bible says, "I'll start from verse one." The Bible says, "When you go to war to battle against the enemies and seize horses and chariots and people more than you." Don't be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you. Why should you not be afraid? For the Lord your God is with you. For the Lord your God is with you. For the Lord your God is with you. Is the one, the one who is with you, is the one who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So, so when you begin to say, God is with me, God is with me, do not forget what he has done for you. When you're saying, Father, I thank you that you are with me, even in this situation, don't just say it um, as a random statement. Say it remembering what God has done for you in the past. Remember what God has done for you in the past. So he said, this God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and it shall be when you are come nigh unto the battle, that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, you approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble, and neither be ye terrified because of them. Why? For the Lord your God is he that goes with you to fight for you against your enemies. Why? To save you. God is the one who goes with you to fight with you against your enemy. To do what? To save you. That's what the priest must first say to the people. He must first remind them about the covenant. He must first remind them about who they are. Who, who, who is their ally? It must first speak to them about the greatest ally that, that ever existed in this world, God Almighty. It must first remind them that in the camp of God. You know, when you face a challenge, when you face something that looks like a Goliath moment, don't forget the greatest ally that anybody can ever have in this world is already in your corner. Don't forget to remind yourself that God is in your corner. Don't forget to remind yourself that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't forget that God has never abandoned you. Don't forget that God is with you. God said to them, when you face this army, greater than you, mightier than you, powerful than you, do not forget Get that God is the one who goes with you to fight with you against your enemy. Why? What's the purpose? Why is he going? To save you. And then oh, in verse 5, 6, and 7, I, I'm not going to read that. If you got to talk about anybody who is afraid, please go back home. Why? So that you not cause fear in the heart of the people. Verse 8 says, And the officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return unto his house, lest his his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. And shall be when the officers have made an end of speaking unto the people, that they shall make captains of the armies to lead lead, lead the people. Now, look at this text here. Captains are not selected until everyone who is afraid is being sent away. Captains to lead people to battle are not selected until the until the people who are fearful among the people have been asked to go go back. So that's the reason why until David came and began to speak boldly and powerfully about who God is and what God can do, they could not win that battle. We know the story about this also in the book of Judges when Gideon was called by God to go and fight the Midianite. God asked him to go to the river and test this, 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 the, the, the people that he, he recruited to go to war with him. And, and he, the, 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 essentially, it was those people who were not showing a sense of fear, who showed a dependence on God, that were able to be selected. The others were sent home. So that God was able to win that battle with fewer people, but fewer people that were not faint-hearted. What are you going through today, my brother? What are you going through today, my sister, that is causing you to be afraid? I want to tell you something, that faith and fear are both spirits. Faith and fear are both spirits. The key difference between David was because it was driven by the covenant of faith and the soldiers were driven by the fear of sight. I'll say that again. David was driven. I want us to write that down. David was driven by the covenant of faith. The soldiers were driven by the fear of sight. Your eyes will deceive you. 
Your eyes will cause you to be afraid. Your eyes will see things in the natural and cause you to be afraid. But faith is of the heart. Faith is of the inner mind. So faith is based on the covenant. So how does this covenant-based faith work? Faith works by boasting in the Lord. David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that, that has defied the army of the Lord? He said, the Lord who delivered me from the bear, who delivered me from the lion, will also deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into my hand. That's what David said. David began to boast in the Lord. He boasted in the Lord in, in, in light of what God has done before. He said, in the, in the law of what God said, Remember, is the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. With the same God that is going with you is one who has already delivered you from the land of Egypt. There's no one of you on the call today. There's no one of you in this service today that will not be able to say at least one miracle or one breakthrough that God has done for you. If you're in doubt, did you wake up this morning? Then you're already a miracle. If in doubt, were you born into the world? If the answer is yes, then you're already a miracle. I tell people, when a man and a woman come together, the sperm that, 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 that fertilizes the egg of the woman, it's just one, right? Among millions and millions of the sperm cells that flow into that, into that ova, into the ovary of the, of, the, of the woman, but it's only one. You are the one of the, you are one of the sperm cells that got fertilized, that fertilizes the the, 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 the egg in, in the womb of your mother and you got born. Not only that, you, you, your mother carried you for nine months and you got delivered and got born. There were many people that came together, that, 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 that became pregnant at the same time you were pregnant and never got born. So which means you are already a walking miracle. The fact that you are still alive here. And there are things that you have faced in your life that other people have faced as well that they lost their mind. You know, recently we went to... Um, we went to um, to Portugal for for um, for um, a celebration of one of our sisters, and something that I remind that we, we, we remind ourselves all through our other journey was the goodness and the faithfulness of God. That there are people that were born that never got to reach that age. There were people that were born about the same time that died along the way. There were people that were born about the same age. They never had the same kind of influence. One of my sisters was talking about the fact that when, when there was a time they went uh, skiing on the, in, in, uh, in somewhere in uh, Switzerland and he left, she left um, a, a, a son with a stranger to go and teach the son how to ride, how to ski, you know, and the son almost, you know, because I said, oh, what about avalanche? He said, well, go, go, you know, God go saved the boy. That they were just about to, the boy was skiing and all of a sudden he got to a place where the, 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 the face of the mountain dropped into a cliff and the boy will have died. But there are other people who have been through the same thing that never made it. Do you see what I mean? So you see, even right now where you are, you have occasions, reason to give thanks to God. There are things that you have gone through that others have gone through that they will have lost their mind. And so therefore, don't let the enemy confuse you to focus only on things that has not working in your life. And today what I want to share with you is defiant faith, faith that stays defiant regardless of what you face and how you can achieve that. And the way you can achieve that is by boasting in the Lord. A faith, a faith that is defiant can only happen because that faith boasts in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 13, the Bible says, we having the same spirit of faith According as it is written, I believe, therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. The Bible essentially here is saying, faith is a spirit. The spirit of faith. The same way, the spirit of fear. But the spirit of faith or the spirit of fear is communicated by words. That's why I said, I believe, therefore I speak. I believe, therefore I speak. Faith, that which you believe, must be spoken out in order for it to be effective. Fear also must be spoken out. Goliath spoke words that created fear in the hearts of these people and they ran away, they panicked and ran away. But David began to call them what they could be, what God sees them as, and therefore releases the spirit of faith into the atmosphere. David boasted in the Lord by declaring the end results before the end results manifest. I want you to write that down. 
David boasted in the Lord. David exhibited exhibited defiant faith by boasting in the Lord, by declaring the end result of what he wanted to see before the end results manifest. David said, the Lord would rescue me based on the past from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will rescue me also from the hand of this Philistine. How can you convey this covenant-based faith or defiant faith? Is by not giving in to fear. How do you not give in to fear? By focusing on the bigness of God. The Bible says, we have the same spirit of faith as it is written. I believe, therefore I speak. If you want your faith to work, your faith must be released by speaking. Especially when things don't work. People of God, you don't need faith when everything is working in your life. Why do you need faith? When the mortgage could be paid, the school fees could be paid, the, the, you have perfect health and so on and so forth. Why do you need faith? You don't need faith because everything is working. But you do need faith to be expressed when what you are going through does not make sense. That's why we say, I don't know if I speak something, it will not come to pass. Well, you are better off speaking something that didn't come to pass than keeping quiet and, and suffering. It's better for you to speak words that God has God is put in your heart, even if you don't believe in the beginning, than to keep quiet and say, I don't want to just be speaking and speaking and nothing is happening. The moment you stop speaking, you, stop lose, you start losing. Write that down. The moment you stop speaking, the moment you stop speaking what God's placed in your heart, the moment you stop speaking by faith, you start losing. There's no middle ground. Either you speak by faith or you retreat to doubt. There's no middle ground. And therefore, the Bible says, you believe, therefore you speak. The spirit of faith is released by speaking. The spirit of fear is also released by speaking. Fear is also what? A spirit. And the Bible says, God has not given you the spirit of fear. See that? God has not given you the spirit of fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says, For God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So you see here now, fear is a spirit. Faith is a spirit. Both fear and faith are released into the atmosphere by words. Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 17 verse 6, He said, If you had faith, even so small, like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it will obey you. So what we see here, therefore, is your faith. The way you plant your faith is by, is the way you release your faith is by planting your faith, by speaking in faith. You have no choice. You have no choice. In the story of uh, the three Hebrew boys in the book of Daniel chapter 3, I cannot go into it. The Bible talks about, you know, um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they refused to bow down to the king. When the king said to them, I, I've put up this, this uh, monument, anybody who bows down to the monument, um, everybody, when, when you hear the song, the, the, the loud song, loud sound, everybody should bow down and bow down to the monument. These three Hebrew boys said, they are not going to bow down. But I want you to look at what they said. When they, when they, when they, when they went to report them to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, they said some words I want you to see. They said the same thing that David said. Because David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paws of the lion and the paws of the bear will deliver me. We will deliver you into my hand. We, not maybe. He, he spoke in faith. Now, what I'm saying to you is that I tell you when we speak in faith, you might begin to say, I know, I'm not sure whether it's going to work. Uh, that's why I don't want to speak in faith. I'm saying, speak in faith nevertheless. Even if it doesn't work. Is better than keeping quiet because when you keep quiet, the devil will will slay you with his with his with, with thoughts that gets you to become petrified. They say when Goliath spoke words of fear into the heart of these soldiers and they were not able to do anything, that's where the enemy is going to be flogging you with thoughts because you refuse to speak. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king in verse sixteen. Daniel chapter three verse sixteen says, "King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace." The God we serve is able to deliver us from it. The God we serve, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us. And he will deliver us from your majesty hand. Look at that. David said, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. They said, the Lord will deliver us from the fairy furnace or from the, the, the hand of the king, from the majesty's hand. Essentially, King Nebuchadnezzar represented Goliath in this case. And they said to him, even if you throw us into the furnace, 
the Lord will deliver us. So which means, essentially they say, they set, they set things in motion. They set the outcome in motion by the words that they speak out of their mouth. You can set the outcome in motion for your own life by the words you speak, especially when what you are experiencing doesn't look like what you want to experience. It is, that is exactly when you need to set the words in motion, people of God. You don't need to set things in motion when things, everything is okay, but when everything is not okay, that is not the time to be saying things as they are. That is the time to be saying things as you want them to be. Amen? So, now, I want to show you something here that is quite profound. There's a story I want to read. You know, I think I've got about 10 minutes left. A story I want to read that I think will be a blessing to you. This story is quite practical. It's a project story, again, I got from Charles Caps. I sort of modified a bit, but the story is quite profound because the story tells us something about the fact that everybody may face a Goliath moment from time to time, but not everybody gets to come out of that Goliath moment the same way. Not because God loves one more than the other, but because one understands the way the kingdom works. So I want to show you today a story. I call it the story of of two Joes. The story of two Joes. The story of two Joes goes this way. It goes this way in the sense that uh, there are two Joes in living in working in the same company, and they faced the same problem, but they got two different outcomes because of whether because of the words that they have been saying. Remember, the words you speak set your life in order. The f- what you speak says your life in a why because faith is a spirit. The Bible says, The word I speak unto you, they are life and they are what spirit. So, when we release faith by words, by the word of God, we speak, we are releasing a spiritual force into the atmosphere that will cause that words that we have spoken, these words we have spoken, to, 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 to become what we have spoken. And it works in both ways. If you speak in fear, you get fear back. If you speak in faith, you get faith back. And I'm warning you because. Because I've been there, and I'm at times I run into that error at times when we say I don't want to speak because I don't I don't know whether it's going to come to pass or not. And I'm saying to you, even if it doesn't come to pass, it's still better than keeping quiet. Because when you say it long enough, it's going to come to pass in your life. So, defiant faith works by boasting in the Lord. So let's look at the story of two Joes. Here's a story. The world system. Is a negative is a negative stream going its own way to destruction. Many Christians get caught up in this negative stream and never seem to recover from the effects of it. One bad thing leads to another. It's like a snowball rolling down a hill. The further it goes, the more destructive it becomes. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter ten verse fifteen, "The rich man's wealth is his strong city; the destruction of the poor is their poverty." So let's examine the lives of two Joes. In light of this text, one became rich, one became poor. And it is because of the words that have been said in motion. The first one we call Prosperous Joe. The second one we call Poor Mad Joe. Prosperous Joe is positive and bases his action on the word of God. The other one is Poor Mad Joe. is very negative and bases his action on what he sees, feels, and hears. Actually, he bases actions on senses. Both men have good jobs at the same plant. Prosperous Joe has been confessing abundance and no lack. Several times a day he proclaims, I have given and it is given to me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Do men give unto me? He has put his faith out, he has put his faith out for double his salary by next year. He says, I am giving and I will double my giving because I believe I'm going to receive double my salary next year. He is praising God for his prosperity. His favorite scripture is Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22, when the Bible says, The blessing of the Lord, it make it rich, and added no sorrow with it. Now, in his spare time, what does Prosperous do? Look at what he does. He takes action. He attends seminars, listens to teaching, tapes, and meditates on God's word. This guy is not, not only declaring what he wants, he's taking action on the back of it. The Bible says, Faith without works is dead. So if you have faith and you send out your faith by words, what are you doing that shows that what you have declared, you actually believe it? So he, he attends seminars, he listens to teaching, and meditates on God's word. Now, Paul Matthew has come from a traditional church. 
which is, which teaches that God leads us through the fire and through the flood, then leaves you in the mud. He has grown up thinking that God brings poverty on you to teach you a lesson. His favorite scripture is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, that says, Yeah, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, here's the thing. That text is the Bible, yeah, but the persecution he's talking about here is persecution for preaching the gospel. <laughs> it's not talking about, you know, be, being poor and being, barely making it and just living through life with greater teeth. That's not what the Bible teaches. Paul Majo is saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. The same way as prosperous Joe. God loves Paul Majo just as much as he, lo- as he loves prosperous Joe. He will do for him what he does for prosperous Joe if he will operate in the same principles. While prosperous Joe is confessing double his salary, Paul Majo is always speaking negative things. After he landed a good job at the plant, his wife said, Glory to God! That's the best job you ever had. But he only muttered, mm-hmm, Yeah, but I'll probably be the first one laid off. You watch, you watch and see. Nothing will ever last for me. By the way, I canceled that for even for saying that out of my mouth. Yeah, but you get you get the point. Because of that new income, his wife talked to him about buying a new car. His response was, As sure as we buy that car, I'll lose my job. Without even realizing it, he is bringing negative things on himself through his words. Almost every night after watching the news, after watching the news, look at what he does. He watches the news instead of watching the word of God or spending any word of God. He watches the news. Paul Majos tells his wife, the recession is really bad. This recession is really bad. And people are being laid off. I'll probably be the first one to go at our plant. Anyway, one morning, he goes to work. And his fear has come upon him. The boss says, we're cutting back and we don't need you anymore. So Paul Majo goes home to have a pity party. He says, oh Lord, I knew it was going to happen. Oh Lord, I know, I know it was going to happen. I told my wife three months ago that this was going to happen. Oh, oh, oh. Together, he and his wife cry half the night. They even call the neighbors who cry with them and give them a lot of sympathy. But no word of God was shared. Pay attention to that. They had a pity party all night long. Granted, there was a problem. Granted, there was a problem. But there was no word. You know the story about the spies? I'm taking a digression. You know the story about the, part, the spies? When they went to the spy, the spies went to Canaan, they went to spy the land. Ten of them brought evil report. They brought a report that talks about the fact that there were giants in the land and they saw themselves as grasshopper. They had a grasshopper mindset. The Bible says they cried throughout the night. The two people that brought a good report, that spoke about the father, yes, they are giants in the land, but we are well able to overcome them. They did not allow them to speak. Do you know those ones who spoke about the fact that they're going to die in there, they, they've, they've come, God has brought them to there to die, they spoke negative words because of what they saw. You know, they never got into the promised land. They never got into the promised land. But they are the same people. They, they had a covenant. The covenant belonged to everybody in Israel. But those people that embrace the mindset of negativity and the fact that things are not going to work, they never got to the promised land. But two people, two people, and those children that didn't know anything, that, that didn't vocalize this negative whatever, they were the ones that got to the promised land. This thing I'm sharing with you guys, very important to know. You cannot continue to speak negatively out of your mouth and expect to see results that conform with what Christ has died for you to possess. It's not possible. Paul Majo is an example of somebody who, even though he's born again, spirit-filled, never got resolved because of what? Never spoke the word. You can lose your job, all right, but don't throw a pity party there and begin to say negative things about your life. Get a word in. Get a word in. Just begin to say, the Lord shall supply all my needs according to riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That is what you ought to do. Okay, anyway, let's go back to the story. Prosperous Joe, who has been confessing, confessing double his salary, goes to work the same morning and gets laid off also. But he also knows what Jesus Christ said. Jesus Christ said, if a man will do my saying, he will not be shaken when the negative streams beats against him. Now, I want you to understand something here. Sorry, this message must go a bit longer to, to an hour, but just allow me to finish it. Prosperous Joe had the same experience. That's where I'm going. The fact that you are, in a, you are f- making confession about good things in your life doesn't mean challenges will not come to you. But what you do when the challenge comes is important. As a matter of fact, I have a, a, a challenge that's going to start on the 18th of August on next Friday, I believe, is called 
assume your own responsibility challenge. It's a 14 day challenge that teaches us how to take responsibility for our lives. Which means when something happens, what, what you can do about it? What can you do about it? You have prayed, you have done something, but what are you going to do about it? Because God gave you responsibility. This guy lost his job the same way Paul Maggio lost his job. But let us look at what he began to do. Let us look at what he began to do, which include the confession of the word and the actions he took. Because that will tell us the things that God expects you to do when you face a Goliath moment. Prosper Joe says, glory to God. I still believe I will double my salary this year. This may not be the place where I will do it, but I will for I believe I, I, will, I receive. Look at that. He said, the fact that they laid me out does not invalidate the, the, what I believe. It might just come through another means because God has multiple ways through which he can bring blessings into my life. Glory to God. He began to praise God. Father, I thank you, Almighty God, that I'm still receiving double for my, that I'm still receiving double this year. My salary is going to be double this year. I'm a millionaire. I'm a billionaire. It's coming to me. In the name of Jesus Christ, opportunities are now being opened to me to, to double my income. I am a person of value. I'm adding value to people all over the world. Things are happening for me. He began to say that even though he just lost his job. When he gets home, his wife says, what are you doing home so early? He said, honey, I lost my job. But... But, praise God, I will get a better one. Look at that. He stated the fact. He is not burying his, his head. His hands, oh, nothing happened here. He's not doing that. He stated the fact. I lost my job. But, glory to God, God will bring me another one. I will get a better one. Not just, not just another one. A better one. This is our chance to prove that God's word works. Get the Bible. Let us confess what God's word says about the situation. Notice that. And the two of them agreed. Prayer of agreement. Husband and wife agree. Father, we thank you that even though we've lost this job, you are bringing a better one. You have a better one for us. Delay is not denier. We thank you, Almighty God, that you have multiple ways in which you can bless us. You bless Elijah through the ravens. You bless Elijah through the widow. Father, we just thank you now that, oh Lord, your word will come to pass upon our lives. Father, we thank you that this is our year of stability and prosperity. We may have not received it yet, but it is coming. We trust you, oh Lord, that not one of your word will, 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 will go back void. Not one of your word will come to the ground and be void. When you have sent your word, your word always return to you in the way you have sent them. In, in, your, your word always prosper in that which you have sent them in the name of Jesus Christ. According to as Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, verse 10 to 11, the Bible says, as, as the rain comes out from heaven, as the snow comes out from heaven, so, so as your word comes, your word comes, Almighty God, to water the earth and cause the earth to boil and bring forth food so that it can give seed to the soul and bread to the eater. The Bible says, so shall your word be that has gone out of your mouth. It shall not return to you void, but it shall prosper in that which you have sent it. Father, therefore, I thank you, Almighty God, right now, O Lord, that your word is coming to pass in our life. Thank you, Father, that you have sent your word of prosperity and stability over this family, over this church. Therefore, we thank you that we are receiving it. We are receiving it. We thank you for it. Father, we thank you that it's coming because of what we face. We thank you that we are going to receive our stability and, and prosperity this year in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Almighty God, because your word works. Your word never returns to you void. Your word or your word always prospers that which you are sent in. Father, we therefore we thank you, Almighty God, that right now we send your word. We send your word, Almighty God, over this valley of dry bones. And we get the valley of dry bones shall be filled with healthy, healthy, strong, virus soldiers with flesh in them and life in them. In the name of Jesus Christ, we release the word of God right now. Now our heart is being directed by the power of the Holy Ghost to know what to do, where to go, and how to arrange ourselves to get into the things which you have prepared for us. Father, we thank you now for it in the name of Jesus Christ. And now they began to pray. They began to pray. That night after confessing the word of God, Prosperous Joe sleeps well. He finds that the word of God has not changed even though he has lost his job. But because poor man Joe had a pity party all night crying, Why me, Lord? Why me, Lord? In the early morning, it was early morning, early in the morning before he gets to sleep. Wallow in misery feels good to his flesh. Wallowing in misery feels good to his flesh. You know, when we face challenges, it is very, very easy to just say, oh, oh why me, why me? It's our flesh likes it. But that doesn't solve the problem. I tell my children all the time, and at times they don't like when, which one I say. I said, it's okay to cry for a while. But the next question I'm going to be asking you, how do we solve the problem? Because crying has never solved the problem. So, while in misery feels good to his flesh, he believes that somehow God is getting glory out of his suffering. Wrong thinking. Wrong thinking. God does not get glory out of any suffering. The only suffering you are allowed to suffer in this life is the suffering that comes with preaching the gospel. Any other suffering is not allowed. It's not godly. Prosperous Joe's spirit is filled with good words. Blessed be God. Whatever I do will prosper. No weapon formed against me will prosper. I expect the situation to bless me. 
Proverbs chapter 10, verse 15 describes a prosperous Jew. The Bible says the rich man's wealth is a strong city. So, and God's word is his wealth. The rich man's wealth is his strong city. So, the, the God's word in his life is his wealth. Therefore, the rich man's wealth, which is the word of God, is his strong city. The word of God operating in your life is your strong city. Prosperous Joe has some good seed into his spirit and has set his goal on prosperity. While he sleeps, his spirit searches the avenues of God's wisdom. It takes several nights, but his spirit finds a way to bring to pass the things he has spoken in faith. Both men are operating the same principle of seed time and harvest, one positive, the other negative. Now, notice the type of seed poor man Joe plants in his spirit will probably be the first one laid off. After he loses his job, he plants another seed by telling his wife, we'll probably, probably lose our house. The note is due in January. How can I pay it? We are going to lose the house just as sure as the world. You watch and see what I tell you. Now, how can you even be married to somebody who speaks like this? God said, in the book of Deuteronomy, he said, if you say in your heart, how can I dispossess them? God said, how am I going to help you? If already you are saying in your heart, how is it going to happen? You're already thinking of options on, you can't see a way out. How is God going to help? If in your heart, you cannot see a way out. So, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 15b says, the poor man's poverty is his destruction. This perfectly describes poor man's Joe. He just continues to become more and more negative as the circumstances worsen. One money. Prosperous Joe says, I feel impressed in my spirit to go downtown and look for work. The very same money, poor man's Joe gets an impression. I need to go to downtown this morning. So both of them start where? Downtown. As Prosperous Joe is driving down the boulevard, he is impressed in his spirit to have a cup of coffee. So at 9 o'clock in the morning, he drives into the parking lot of a local restaurant, goes in and sits in the second booth. At 9.03 a.m., Joe Blow, an old school buddy, walks in. They greet each other. Well, Prosperous Joe, how you doing? Just great, Joe. You know, you have been on my mind for several days. What are you doing now? Oh, I was working at a plant until a few days ago when I got laid off. But thank God, I'm going to get a better job. Joe Blow says, that's amazing. I am building a manufacturing plant in town and I need a manager. You are exactly what I need. When I was praying the other day, your name came to me. But I had no idea where you were. This meeting was no accident. Joe Blow hires Prosperous Joe at twice the salary he was making previously. Prosperous Joe's spirit produced exactly what he has spoken. A man, the Bible says, shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth. What you say is what you are going to get. And the recompense of the man's hand shall be rendered unto him. As Paul Master Joe is driving down the same boulevard, he's having a pity party thinking, how am I ever going to get out of this mess? Why do these things always seem to happen to me? Have you said those words before? Have you said those words before? Why do these things always seem to happen to me? Have you said those words before? If you have said, said that statement before, can you please check out what you have been saying all your life? Maybe you have been confessing certain negative things and that's why, you know, Satan and Harvest is happening to you. Suddenly, he gets the desire for a cup of coffee. Instead of pulling into the parking lot of the restaurant where Prosperous Joe is, he drives to another restaurant down the street. Joe Blow was looking for two men and would have hired poor man Joe if he had walked in. But poor man Joe had deceived his heart with his words. We will lose our house. I will never find a good job again. Those words he was saying to himself, those words have deceived his heart. That's why the Bible says, if you think you are religious and you cannot bridle your tongue, your religion is what? It's, it's, it's vain. The Bible, says, but the Bible says, if you don't know how to handle your tongue, your tongue will deceive your own heart. So when you speak any words, anyhow, it's not just the people that you're talking to that it was affected. It's also affecting your own heart. So, it sets, poor man, poor man just sets the goal and his human spirit led him to what he said. He was led by his spirit to the wrong place for coffee because the seed was wrong. The Bible says, Proverbs chapter 15 verse 4, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. But perverseness therein is a bit in the spirit. Perverseness of speech breaches your spirit, breaches your heart. When you say words anyhow, you are affecting yourself more than you know it. 
while prosperous Joe's spirit had been searching the avenues of God's wisdom all night long to find how to get him in a place to double his salary, poor man's Joe's spirit had been searching all night to find out how he could lose his car and his house. The question he posed for his spirit to answer was not, was not how will I prosper, but how will I fail? So I tell people, ask yourself the question, how can I make 100000 a year or 200000 that question. When you ask that question to your mind, the mind will begin to go around to give you ideas on how that money is going to come. The seed is planted. And in searching for a way to get him exactly what he had been saying, poor man poor Joe Spree found a way to keep him from the restaurant where the good deals were. Then as the waitress is bringing coffee to poor Matt Joe, she trips and pours it all over him. His day is ruined. It was his only clean suit, so he returns home to have another what? Pity party. The next morning, when he hears about Prosperous Joe, poor Mars Joe complains. He is the luckiest guy who ever lived. I don't understand why God blesses him, but won't bless me. Have you heard somebody say that before? <laughs> Nothing good ever happens to me. Can you understand what he's saying? The Bible says the destruction of the poor is their poverty. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 15. The destruction of the poor is their poverty. Later, while he's shaving, he gets another impression. I heard that the plant in the next town is hiring now. I feel led to go over there. His spirit is leading him there because it is working to bring him what he had been saying. Good, bad, or indifferent, the outcome depends on the seed that was sown. Following his impression, Paul Maggio goes to the next town and gets a job at that plant. His spirit led him to one of the few places in the nation where he could get a job and then lose it in 30 days. A month after he starts, the plant goes, goes bankrupt and lays off all the help. By January, his harvest, has, his harvest has come. He loses his car and his house. Still, he cannot understand it. Why did God allow this to happen to me, he says. He does not understand about seed time and harvest, about the fact that when you say those words out of your mouth, you are planting seed for your future. He doesn't understand it. God wanted to bless poor Majo in the same way he blessed Prosperous Joe because he loves both of them the same way. But so many of God's people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Yes, this was a hypothetical situation. Obviously, you know, but it has been true in the lives of so many of God's people. God wants you to take hold of his principles and be a prosperous Joe. It is the law of seed time and harvest over and over and over and over again. Start sowing your crop today. As I round up, here is the word from Apostle Paul that succinctly put this thing together. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 to 20, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 to 26, he says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in the meekness, instructing those that opposes themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Now, here's it. Who recover themselves out of the snare of the devil? You. You must recover yourself out of the negative stream of this world. No one can do it for you. The first step to recovery is to recognize where you are and have a desire to recover. The Bible says when the desire, desire comes, is a tree of life. People of God. This is where I'm going to stop. Next week, I'm going to talk, go into, into, into a, a little bit more detail because I ran out of time. But I want to show you something here that is important. God does not love the person that is prospering more than he does you. But be careful what you say, especially when things don't look like they are going to work. That's when we need to keep our mouth shut or say what God says. If you are going to have to use your words to put yourself down or to speak negatively about your life, then keep your mouth shut. But if you have to say anything, begin to say what you want, especially when things don't look like it. I hope this analogy has been a blessing to you. Faith, a defiant faith is the faith that boasts in the Lord in the face of adversity. The same thing happened to Baba Abraham. For the Abraham, actually I'm going to cover that. For Abraham in, in Proverbs chapter, uh, Romans chapter 4 verse 18 to 20, the Bible says when it was hopeless to hope, when it was hopeless to hope, when it was hopeless to hope, Abraham believed in hope. According to what God had promised, so no matter shall your descendant be. Without becoming weak in faith, he considered his own body, now as good as dead, for producing children. 
since he was about 100 years old. And he considered the deadness of Sarah's womb. That is in the Amplified Version I'm reading. But he did not doubt or waver in unbelief concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong and empowered by faith, giving glory to God. Now, if you look at this text, the Bible says, when it was hopeless, to when there's no hope at all. Abraham still believed in hope. But how was he able to become defiant in his faith? The Bible says it is when he began to give glory to God. Look at the ESV version. It says, no unbelief, verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God. Look at that. It is as he gave glory to God that his faith became defiant. David, when he began to say, the Lord will give you into my hand, that's when his faith began to get become defiant against Goliath. Goliath came with defiance against the whole army of Israel. David embraced defiant faith as he began to declare what God would do based on what God has done before. It is as you give God glory in the midst of the challenges that you face, that's when you become empowered. You become you have you you, you embrace this defiant faith that gives you victory over the world. People of God, as I go, I want you to know that God loves you so much. God cares for you. God wants the very best for you. But you need to embrace defiant faith. Let your word not put you in bondage. Let your word not put you in bondage. Let your word not put you in bondage. I know I said three times. Let your words not put you in bondage. The Bible says a man is ensnared by the words of his own mouth. Your own mouth will put you in trouble if you allow it. The Bible says death and life. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 20. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those that love it will eat the fruit of it, whether for life or death. Do you want life? Then speak life. Do you want life? Then speak life. As you go, remember, you are blessed and highly favored. Before we go, please remember, we have communion at 3.30 today. Please kind of show up. I'm going to be praying on the theme for the month, which is surrounded. We are surrounded by God. So please show up at 3.30. God bless you so much. Next week, we're going to be having... We're likely going to be having metamorphosis, but I will let you know uh, in, the, in the, those who are part of the WhatsApp group. For now, remember you're blessed and I had a favor, and I'll speak to you uh, next week. Please, I'm sorry again for taking more, more time today, but I wanted to cover the story so that you can go, go uh, uh, with that story in your mind so that you can play that back over and over. You're blessed. I'll speak to you another time.